What's good, Excel? How many of you are officially done with school? Raise your hand if you're done. Almost, we're close to all the, all the outside of CPS. CPS, how much more you guys got? Two weeks. Two weeks. <laughs> Seniors are finished, right? Seniors all graduated. So two more weeks, make sure you go to school. High schoolers, make sure you go to school. Make sure you go to school. Um, you know, I was thinking about this this time uh, kind of coming into summer, and there's uh, some thoughts that I had, things I wanted to talk to you about. But before I really jump in on that, I want to give you a little backstory because when I'm doing this so long, you forget how many people know your story and how many don't. And so it's like, oh, yeah, they know that, but maybe I haven't said it in six or seven years. And so just to give you a little backstory, I had just mentioned uh, right at the end of worship that it's been almost 20 years that I, I came to Excel as a student. I came here as a teenager, uh, after a series of unfortunate events um, that are, are a whole nother day to get into all that. Um, but long story short, uh, I, I remember at one point looking in the mirror and going, I don't know who that is anymore. And um, I started going back to my mom's church at the time because there was a girl there that I was trying to hook up with. And her mom was making to go, my mom was making me go, so we thought we'd go together kind of thing. And I remember inviting a buddy of mine because uh, I didn't want to go by myself one time. And he came, and he's like, oh, we got something similar to this at uh, my church. You should check it out. And I'm like, ah, I normally don't do that, but since you came to mind, it'd be kind of bogus not to check yours out. And I remember I walked into Excel that night, and I was just blown away. And trust me, it was not what this is, right? It was like the walls were still yellow down at 6050, and there was like purple, some weird, I don't know what color wheel they were using. And... Uh, and the band was not um, good, <laughs> okay? The band had some, had some work. It was one of those like, yeah, anybody can jump on. And it's like, you shouldn't have had it. There was one girl, I kid you not, she cried every week during worship. She would sing on the worship team and just fall on her knees and sob uncontrollably. And they never had her microphone on. Like, she was always on the team, but my buddy like, he's like, hey, bro, you want to know something funny? I'm like, what? Her mic's never on. I'm like... Low keys, like, bro, never. I was like, that's messed up, right? Uh, so, so Excel was still, you know. But I remember even sitting there in the first time, and, uh, and I remember they, he brought out this TV, and he showed a clip. And I was like, dude brought a TV to church. Oh, my God. Like, I thought it was the coolest thing, right? I was so easily entertained at that point. Uh, but the thing that mattered is uh, for a while in those few years, it was about my sophomore year, end of freshman year, beginning of sophomore year, that I started going and for a couple years, I really started to drift from how my parents had raised me. I was raised in the church. I was taught, you know, the things that were right and wrong in the Bible, how to live your life. And, uh, you know, church was hard for me because there was no teenagers where my parents were going. Literally, it was like 30 old ladies and me. And so it was hard to have relationships. It was hard to build things. And so I had like 35 guys in our neighborhood that we all hung out with. Like literally 35 of us would hang out at my steps. We were all about the same age. None of us were like gangbangs or anything, but we all had our funny little things. And so I started to rely a lot on my friends. And that's kind of an age where you really start to want friends and connect with friends. And you don't want to hang out with your mom and dad and stuff like that. So I started connecting with people. And I started to become more like them and less like God. And there was this natural progression. And listen, this isn't, I, I'll tell you the truth, and I hate this phrase, and you've all been right, especially the Hispanic people, like, dime con quien andas y yo te digo quien eres. Tell me who you're with, and I'll tell you who you are. And you always roll your eyes, like, oh, my God. Like, I don't like your friends. Stop hanging out with that person. And I'd always get mad. I'm like, you don't even know them. 
right? And so you, there's this feeling that whenever somebody brings up that word peer pressure or that impression, we naturally, if we're honest, we kind of get mad because we have this idea that we're not susceptible to that. Like nobody controls me. I do what I want. I'm not being influenced by anybody else. But there is a natural influence that occurs. Some stuff that you don't even pick up on, for example, your language, how you speak, right? Your accent is a direct relation to the people you are hanging around. So we have an accent here in Chicago. We don't notice it because everybody else is from Chicago. But if you were to go to like England or if you were to go to another part of the United States, like New York or the West Coast, they'll notice your accent. And so when I travel to speak in places, people always make fun of my accent. I'm like, I don't have an accent. And they're like, yeah, and they always, they always make it sound like this, like, I'm from Chicago. And I'm like, I don't sound like that. You sound like you're holding your nose when you talk, right? But we do. We say things like this, right? When, when you need to pee, where do you go? You go to the bathroom, right? Okay? Europe. It doesn't say bathroom. What does it say? Toilets. So when you go to, the, like, if you're at the airport, if you land somewhere in Europe and you want to find a bathroom, you don't look for a bathroom sign. It says toilets. And I'm like, that just seems rude, right? Like, that's where the toilets are at. But that's part of our vernacular, right? What, what am I wearing right now? These are what? What kind of shoes? Gym shoes, right? They don't call them gym shoes other places. They call them sneakers or they call them trainers or they call them something else. Tennis shoes. We call them gym. My whole life we call them gym shoes, right? So the first time I heard somebody else say it differently, I'm like, you're dumb, right? You're weird because it's different for me. So you have some things that you pick up from other people whether you realize it or not, even things about yourself from your parents, right? How many of you get frustrated when your mom and dad are mad at you for being like them? And you're like, you mad at me because I got an attitude. You got an attitude. You gave me your attitude. Like, how are you then going to get mad at me for being who you are, right? So there are some things that we naturally pick up. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is because when you don't pay attention, you just naturally start to pick up everybody else's habits, the way everybody else acts, and you become somebody that you may not want to become because you're not paying attention to who you're becoming. And these are the things that we want to talk to you about. Because specifically for those of you in this room who are a Christian, and, and let me just set this up tonight by explaining. This message is for those of you in this room who claim to be a Christian, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you just walked in tonight, this is your first time, please don't feel like I'm ganging up on you or I'm telling you this is how you're supposed to be. I'm saying as a believer, this is how the Bible tells us that we're supposed to live our lives. And the Bible is very clear on how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to be in all these aspects. The problem is when you spend more time in the world and its culture and those types of friends and not as much time in God, you're naturally going to become like that. And so for me, I grew up in church, and so there was a lot of things that were placed in me from a young age. But as I started hanging around more of my friends who didn't grow up in church, and I started hanging around people that were more influencers than I was and started to get me to do things that they were doing, the more I began to shift in how I spoke and the more I began to shift in how I acted and how I thought, how I treated people. Uh, and I began to become someone I really didn't like, right? When I was little, I was bullied a lot, and... I learned to defend myself by bullying people. And so I became a verbal bully. And I could verbally destroy you. I mean, I can just tear your whole life apart. I remember literally getting crowds of people to circle around somebody and make fun of them simply because they offended me or something. Right? I just became that kind of person. Uh, I became manipulative. I, I, was, I was fascinated by how easy you can get dumb people to do things. And so I became manipulative and convincing people like, 
random. So we just, just, I remember we would take people's shoes and just kick it across the parking lot into somebody's house and just walk away. Like, that was fun for me because I messed with you and I had control over you and I had power over you. And those things began to feel good, but they weren't familiar anymore. They weren't me. They weren't who God made me to be. So I remember coming into Excel realizing, man, I've drifted so far from who God is and who he wants me to be. And it really messed with me, especially because, and I'll tell you the longer story, right up before I came to church, I almost tried to kill a guy. So that's when I realized, mm, I should probably go back to church. Like I got to a point where I had a gun in my hand and I'm ready to go do something that I would have regretted for the rest of my life. And so that reminds me of something in the book of Daniel. If you have your Bible, we're going to look at the book of Daniel. We're going to look at one of my all-time favorite stories from when I was a child. And in the book of Daniel, the people of God, if you read the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, you're tracking this story through this chosen people of God, the Israelites. Now, I don't know why God chose the Israelites. He could have chose the Egyptians. He could have chose the Puerto Ricans. But he chose these guys, right? For whatever reason, he had to choose somebody. That's who he chose. So he chose the Israelites because you got to have one person to tell the story through. It's like when you're watching a show, right? Let's say you're watching a show about school, and the, the same four students are in the show. Obviously, there's all these other kids in school, but you don't care. You're following the story of those particular main characters. So the main character in the Old Testament, more often than not, is the nation of Israel. Now, the nation of Israel is supposed to represent us. A lot of the dumb things they did, we still do. And at one point, they were being rebellious. They weren't listening to God. They were doing their own thing. And God allowed them to be captured and taken over by another culture, another country uh, known as the Babylonians. So the Babylonians in Daniel chapter 3, they've already captured the Israelites and they brought them in. Now, here's the thing you got to understand about the Babylonians, and this is really interesting. How they conquered another people group was very unique. A lot of times you see when, when a country invades another country, they wipe out the people. They kill everybody. They do genocide. They destroy the whole thing, and they take their land and their resources. The Babylonians were different. When the Babylonians would take over a people group, they would completely take over the people group and indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture. So rather than wipe you out, I'm going to make you a Babylonian. So what they would do is they would do slick things, like they would change your name. They would take your Hebrew name, which is what the Israelites had, and they're like, you're no longer going to be called that. They would give them a Babylonian name. And so the three guys that we're going to look at here have three Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These weren't the names that they were given at birth. These weren't the names that they grew up with. These are the new cultures that have been placed on them. So why is that important for you and me? I don't think it's any different than what the world is doing today. The world, for those of you who are Christians, instead of trying to eliminate you, instead of trying to get rid of you, it's easier to just indoctrinate you. It's easier to just shift your mindset. It's easier to turn you from God than to try to destroy you. And so what you see in today's A and age is culture. And I'm going to use that term, culture and the world, interchangeably. What I mean by that is the things that aren't of God. What you see culturally and in the world is this constant aggression towards God. And we've all seen it, right, whether it's online or in person. It's almost scary to admit that you're a Christian. It's intimidating to stand up for biblical things because you're worried that the culture is going to attack you because you don't have the same mindset that they do. And that's an interesting thing because I, I think it's funny how culturally they speak tolerance unless it's against what they believe. And so when you stand up for something biblical, when I was growing up and I would say things like, 
you know, hey, I don't drink. Why? Because I'm a Christian and I have an example that I'm supposed to live by. People all made fun of me. People all tried to get me to drink. People would do weird things. I remember one time I was at a party and everybody knew that I was saving myself for marriage. And so they locked me in a room with a drunk girl and said they wouldn't open the door until I slept with her. And I remember thinking, that's rape, bro. <laughs> like, that's weird. And I just sat there and, and she fell asleep and I just sat on the floor and waited for them to open the door for me. Like, that's the kind of aggression that at times you can find. But I think in today's age, you're getting it even more. If you step out of line of what the entire culture thinks, you're going to get attacked. So what happens with most Christians is we don't say anything. We stay silent. And even more, we tend to agree and we tend to take on the philosophies of the world and ignore what God's word is saying. So let me break down this story real quick as we can get into it. What's happening right now in Daniel chapter 3 is there's a king of Babylonia known as Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has been convinced by some of his aides to build a statue for himself and set up a new law. The new law was this, that when the music played, when the trumpet sounded, everybody was to bow down and worship his statue. Everyone was to bow down and give praise to his statue. Now, bowing down is the universal symbol of submission. I am submitting to your authority. I am submitting to you as my God. That was the symbolic gesture. That was what they were supposed to do. The Israelites knew part of their commandments were you are to never have any God before me. You can't worship another God ahead of me. So this was a big no-no for the Jewish culture. This was huge. And yet this is why the Nebuchadnezzar was convinced to do this because the guys who did it were trying to get those guys in trouble. And so let's pick up on this story in uh, verse 4. It says, then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages. Why do they have all these different cultures? Because these are the people that the Babylonians have taken over. Listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zyre, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bow to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So let me just pause again. So here's the decree, right? When the music plays, no matter what background you have, no matter what you believe, from now on, your God is Nebuchadnezzar. So you will bow down to him. This is what the law is saying. If you don't do it, we're going to kill you. And the method of, of death is they're going to take you and throw you into a big fire pit, a fiery furnace. So basically, it was a man-made, almost if you think like a dome, full of fire, and they'll throw you in there and burn you to death. So this is the threat that's going on, right? Now listen to what happens. So Nebuchadnezzar said, but some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. So you got some tattletales. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the goat statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zyre, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Now let me pause right there. 
Notice Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were given jobs. They were put in charge of the province of Babylon. Like I said, the Babylonians would take over a culture. They would indoctrinate you into Babylonian culture. And then they weren't dumb. If you were smart, if you were sharp, they would take you as a good, strong, young leader. And they would give you Babylonian authority. They would give you a, a province to look over, some sort of authority. Why? To get you to be more of a Babylonian. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were bright young men. They were very intelligent. They were strong. They were good leaders. So they were placed in leadership positions. These guys that are telling on them, they didn't like that. They were jealous of their position. So they set this whole thing up knowing that they were faithful Jews and would not bow down to this God. Okay? There's going to be a lot of times where God's going to give you favor. And in this culture, you're going to get great jobs or you're going to get positions of authority outside of the church. You're going to be able to do things in your school. You're going to be honored. And you're going to get haters, people who don't like that you are succeeding in life, people who don't like that you're going where they wish they could go. And they're going to find whatever way they can to try to knock you down. And one of those ways is going to be to attack your faith. One of those ways is going to be to attack the core of who you're supposed to be. And so it goes on to say, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the goat statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that, th that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Man, I love to just, I just want you to see this. Like, can you imagine? They're standing in front of this king with guards in this throne in this intimidating moment where he's threatening them, where he's saying, I'm serious, I'm about to kill you if you don't bow down. And they stand up and go, bro, not going to happen. Not even trying. I will not do that. Bro, if you do it, the God we serve, he can rescue us from the fire. But then he takes it one step up. Listen, I love this part, right? The God who we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the goat statue that you have set up. What are they saying? Our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we're never going to worship yours. We're never going to bow down to you. This is what it means to be a believer now. To say, I don't care what culture says. I don't care what everybody else's mindset is. Even if everybody else does, I'm telling you right now, I won't. I believe that God is looking for a generation of young people who are brave enough to stand before the throne of culture, to stand before your friends and everybody else's opinion and say, I know what you're saying, but I need you to be understand. And let me make this clear. I will never worship your gods. I will never bow down to your culture. I will stand for Christ in every situation. And if God rescues me, praise God. And if he doesn't, I'm doing it anyway. I mean, that 
is what it means to be a believer. And sadly, I think the problem that we're having is we have a lot of people who one day rose their hand in church and said yes to Jesus. But the moment something bad began to happen in your life, you toss them aside. The moment somebody threatens that, you toss them aside. I remember the first time I tried to get kind of brave in high school and tried to, I was coming to Excel and there's this thing every year they call see you at the pole where nationally kids gather together at their flagpole uh, on a particular day right before school starts and they pray around the flagpole for the nation and for each other and I remember I'm going to go do that. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, right? And I, I went to Lane, so there was like 5,000 kids there and I was a little nervous. But I decided I'm going to stand for God. I'm not going to worry about what everybody else says. I don't care what other people think. I only care what God thinks. And so I remember I'm standing there. And I'm not going to lie to y'all. I was freaking out. My buddy was walking by. I was like, hey, come pray with me, bro. Hold my hand. Just stand with me. And he's like, okay. I'm like, oh, my God. He said yes. All right, cool. I didn't know he used to be a Christian too. But we were both in the same boat. So we're both sitting there praying. And I could see all my friends looking at me at the corner of my eye. And I don't know what they were thinking. But, you know, we come up with our own imagination of what they're thinking. And I remember I'm walking back towards the line, and there was this one guy who was just a jerk in general. He's just a, a dumb guy. And he's trying to, like, make fun of me. Like, he's talking to everybody. And he goes, hey, bro, were you over there with all those dummies? Blah, blah, blah. And, and I remember he's trying to get everybody against me in that moment. And, yo, I'll be honest with you, I was a Christian, but just barely. So I was, like, super mad that he was trying to front me in front of everybody. And so I was like, yeah, I was. You know, my voice went really down and my chest got really big. I was like, yeah, I was. You got an issue with that? Is that a problem? No, it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool to pray. It's really cool. If any of you got an issue with it, let me know. You good? We good? Yeah, we good. All right, cool. We good. All right? I, no lie, I was about to punch him for Jesus. I don't think that was cool. That was probably not right. But I'm like, in my mindset at the time, I'm like, Lord, I'm going to defend you, bro. I'm going to come at him. All right? Here's what you got to understand. When you're quiet, no one's ever going to mess with you. No one's ever going to say anything because no one really knows what you stand for. No one cares because no one really knows. Everyone assumes that you think how they think. And the problem is most Christians, we'd rather stay silent about it or go with the flow and act how they act and do what they do. But you got to understand there's something powerful about being willing to stand out, especially when you're at an age where all you want to do is fit in. And I think that's the greatest challenge. Right now, every instinct in your body says fit in. Be like everybody else. Be liked. Fit in. And God says, I made you to stand out. I made you to be different. And so here's a few things that I picked up from this passage that I want us to understand tonight. Number one, if you're taking notes, the law is not your moral compass. The law is not your moral compass. Okay? The law that was put in place here with Nebuchadnezzar was that when the music played, everyone was to bow down. A lot of times we justify our morality based on what's lawful and what's not. And so what a lot of you, maybe you're not drinking now, but you're thinking, man, when I turn 21, I'm going to get hammered. It's my 21st birthday. I'm going to bring all my buddies, and we're going to get crazy drunk. Why did your morality change at that age? Because a lot of us base it on legal or illegal. Right, Illinois just passed the legalization of marijuana. There's probably a handful of you that got really excited about that. I'm not that naive and dumb to think that's not true. There's probably a handful of you, if not a majority of you, who have already tried it or are actively doing it and thinking now that it's becoming legal when I'm 21, it won't be stigmatized, it won't look as bad. 
but the law doesn't dictate your morality. You need to understand, this is the only book of laws, this is the only book of information that needs to dictate who I am. Just because it's legal doesn't mean God's in favor for it. Right? Slavery was legal. God was never in favor for it. You could have sex legally with whoever you want as long as it's consensual, but that doesn't mean in God's eyes it's okay. Okay? There are a lot of things that the world and culture say, this is fine, this is legal, as long as you're at the right age. But be careful not to allow the laws of the United States of America to dictate the morality of the kingdom of God. They are very different. And when you begin to follow God instead of following man, when your heart is dictated by what God's word says, not the legality of law. Now listen, don't get me wrong. Just, doesn't mean you can just throw out the law. Doesn't mean you're like, you're 14, you can steal your dad's car and drive wherever you want. Like, I, you still have to follow the laws of the land. You still have to obey the laws of the land. But just because the law gives you freedom to do certain things doesn't mean that God does. Does that make sense? Listen to what the scriptures say. Acts chapter 5, verse 27 through 29. It says, then they brought the apostles before the high council. Okay, This was at the time after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, the disciples, the apostles, they're going around and they're preaching about Jesus. And the, the high council, this was the, the law of the Jewish people at the time. These were the, the judges, if I could say it like that. They hated the fact that they were starting to get followers for them and that they weren't able to quench the thing with the death of Jesus. And so they, they warned them not to do this anymore. So they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, listen right here, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Okay? God, what God speaks, will always supersede any law that the world puts into play. Okay? Okay? You obey the laws of the land, but when they interfere with what God has put on your heart, when they interfere with what God has laid out in his word, this comes first. This comes first. Okay? And again, there's a lot of debates when it comes to things like abortion, legalization of drugs, gambling, a bunch of that other stuff. And those are conversations I would love to have with you as individuals. And there may be a time later on where I can address things personally, but here's the problem. Most of your culture already has a certain mindset that goes contrary to what God's word is. And the problem is you have to take time to study this. It, this Bible doesn't work by just putting it on top of your head. Like, wait five minutes and it seeps into your brain. That's just not how it works. You actually have to read it. You have to understand it. You have to study it. And even if you question it, that's fine. My God is big enough to handle your questions. But you've got to be willing to look for the answers here, not here. What does God's word say? Not what I feel. What does God's word think about this? And let me live a life according to God's word. I understood when I got to a certain age that I can do certain things. I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, real transparent. I went to a club one time in my life. I was over 21. It was my friend's birthday party. They convinced me, let's go. I went to a club. And I was a strong believer at the time. I walked in and immediately knew this is not the place for me. I don't like this. I don't feel comfortable in this. And when you are strong in the presence of God, you're never going to feel comfortable in darkness. And just in a practical standpoint, it was loud. I was like, I can't even talk to anybody. This music is just blaring. And so I remember I was standing next to my friend. I'm like, this is really awkward. What are we supposed to do? 
And he's like, just go dance with that girl. You want me to randomly bump up against that random stranger that I don't know? I'm, this is what we're supposed to do? So literally, I'm standing against the wall like, this is weird. Four or five people thought I was the bouncer because I was so uncomfortable in my face that I started thinking maybe I can get a part-time job here. Like, that would be kind of cool, throwing out drunk people. Um, but I remember leaving going, never again. That place has nothing for me. That's not who I am. If you're comfortable in places of sin, in places where things that God doesn't care about are being done, that says more about you than about them. I was uncomfortable, so I decided, you know what, that's not the place for me. If you notice in the story of Nebuchadnezzar, and I think this is an important key aspect, when the guys come to the king, the ones that are telling on them, they say, hey, you made this law. And then they go to say, but some Jews, okay, some Jews infers that most Jews did bow down. When he says some Jews refuse to obey, if some Jews refuse to obey, then that naturally tells you that most of the Jews that were there bowed down. You have to understand that even in this room, a majority of you are going to go and do what the culture tells you. I'm not naive and dumb about that. A majority of you are not going to be willing to stand when it matters the most. But I am talking to some of you that are willing to do it. Some of you have to begin to understand what God's word says. And the ones who are willing to be the sum, here's the second thing you need to understand. That your testimony supersedes your freedom. Your testimony supersedes your freedom. Let me explain what a testimony is, okay. Uh, if you're in, if you ever seen a court drama show, they bring a witness up to testify to what they've experienced and what they've seen. What the other lawyer will try to do is to destroy the character of that witness. If I can make you believe that that witness is not credible, that you shouldn't listen to that witness, that they're a liar, that they're immoral, that they don't live up to it, then it's less likely that you'll convict my client because you won't listen to the witness. Okay? God has placed you as witnesses to him on this earth. You are supposed to be the witness to say, listen, I've experienced Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I have experienced what it means to be in the presence of God. I have seen what God can do. I've witnessed miracles that God has been able to accomplish. I've read his word. I am a witness, and I have come to testify to tell you what I've experienced. What the rest of the world is going to try to do then is to damage the character of your testimony. So for me, as a Christian... Growing up, I understood part of the reason why I don't smoke and I don't drink and I don't have sex before I get married and, and, I, and I live in a way that honors God and I cursed for a long time and I tried and worked on not doing that. Could you imagine if I never fixed that part? That'd be, this would be a, a much more popular podcast. Um, but it, it would have been hard, right? So these were things that I worked on. Why? Because my testimony mattered. Because it mattered to me about bringing friends to church. And I knew, and a lot of times, I'll be honest, some of you are probably in this room. The reason you don't bring friends to church is because they know how you are outside of this building. And so when you bring them here, they're looking at you like, well, why are you two different people? I was the other day, I hung out with Valerie and some of her friends, and I asked her friends, who is she at school? And they're like, she's just as quiet. She got secrets. I'm like, I know she got secrets. We're going to find them out. But why did I ask that? Because who she is at school determines why somebody else would come here. If they can't trust in the validity of who you are, they're not going to trust anything you have to say. I've told y'all before, I met a nutritionist one time and she was bigger than me. I was not going to listen to her. When she told me, limit yourself to one tortilla, I said, you limit yourself to one tortilla. 
How are you going to tell me? <laughs> Look, I ain't trying to be bogus to her, but at the same time, your testimony is damaged when you don't live up to it. Your testimony is damaged when you're not willing to be the example of that testimony. And so here's something you got to understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In this passage, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he's dealing with an issue that they were having, okay? What was happening was a lot of the people that got saved in Corinth, they worshiped these false gods, these other idols, and what they would do is, uh, in that area, they would bring meat as a sacrifice to these idols or these statues, and then after a while, that meat would be taken and sold in the market. And the ones who got saved, they were like, yo, I can't eat that meat because it was worshiped to idols, Right? Or a lot of the Jews, I can't eat that meat because it was worshipped to idols. Because culturally, that's what they always believe. Now, Paul understood, yo, there's no such thing as those gods. They're not even real. It's fake. The meat is fine. You can eat it. It's good. But he also understood if these people believe they're honoring God by doing this, and it's not hurting anyone. It wasn't like, hey, you know, I have to honor God by murdering all the Greek people here. Then that's a whole other issue. But it was about eating meat. So listen to what Paul says. But you must be careful so that your freedom, you know, the freedom that you have in Christ to live the life you live, does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge, I always feel like when you quote something, it's sarcastic. So I read it. When I read it, I was like, so with your superior knowledge, that's how I read it, um, eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weaker believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something that they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. What is he saying? Listen. If, if the freedom that I have to do something, even if it's not wrong in God's eyes, causes somebody else to mess up. Let's take alcohol for, for example because a lot of people make the argument that the Bible never says that you can't drink alcohol. The Bible is against drunkenness. So the Bible is very clear that drunkenness is the sin, not particularly drinking alcohol. So theoretically, if you go down that line of thinking, you could have a beer and you're still fine as long as you're getting not drunk. Now here's my counter argument to that, Okay. If, if drunkenness is at the end of this one-way street, and I'm not supposed to go to the end of the street, and there's nothing else on this street for me, why am I driving down this street? I would rather avoid the street because if somebody else who maybe struggled with alcoholism, somebody like me who had several uncles die because of alcohol, if, if somebody else saw me going down that street and thought, oh, Pastor Joey does it. So if Pastor Joey can do it, then I can do it. So if my freedom to go down this street causes another weaker believer, someone who's new to the faith, to stumble, then I sinned. I messed up. So my job is to live a life that's above reproach, above the line. To live a life that's worthy of the gospel. So if that means, I listen, there's a reason. My whole life I've never tasted alcohol. I know for a fact that I wouldn't go to hell if I had one drink. I know I'm not going to get drunk. I'm too big if I had one drink. I know that. But you know how comforting it is to be able to look you in the eye and say, you don't need it in your life to be happy. I would go to parties and everybody would be drunk and they'd be having a good time. And I'm like, guys, I don't need that to be happy. I am more fun than you are. And I'm having more fun because I will remember this day and you don't. (laughs) 
Because as you're throwing up in that toilet and I'm holding your hand and getting you back home, I remember how stupid you looked and how not dumb I looked. So you got to understand, as a believer, you have certain freedoms. There are things, obviously, you can do. I'm not saying you got to be a stick in the mud. But your testimony matters more than your freedom. So if your testimony said, listen, are you, are you going to go to hell because you cursed somebody out? I don't think so. Hopefully not. That would be messed up. You had one swear word slip out of your mouth. You're not going to hell. But again, if I'm up here going, man, this mother, like, and I start just, how many know that will be an awkward sermon? Some of you are like, yo, that sermon will be lit though. Right? But it, it would be weird to hear the pastor swearing. It would be weird if instead of water in this bottle it was vodka, you'd be like, pastor's acting a little too fun today. Right? That would damage my testimony and my ministry. So I stick to water. And I avoid the other. It is water, trust me, if you want to drink later. And I avoid the other things. Why? Because my testimony matters more than my freedom. Now listen to me. Those of you who have tried to reach your friends with the gospel, it's not that Jesus doesn't work. It's that the messenger is messing it up. It's the messenger that's messing it up. If somebody delivered me my paycheck... And the one knocking on the door wasn't a mailman, I wouldn't open the door. Low key, I don't know about y'all, I don't open the door if you didn't call or text me first. So when someone randomly rings my doorbell and my wife's like, are you expecting somebody? Nope, don't open that door. 7 o'clock at night, somebody rings the doorbell, I don't open the door, I get the bat. Just in case, I ain't, nobody, I ain't waiting on nobody. <laughs> right? And so if you, the messenger, don't look the part, you're not going to be able to deliver the message. And it's not that the message wasn't good, it's that the messenger wasn't looking good. You have to be willing to live a life that backs up your testimony and the words that you speak. Because hypocrisy is something that your generation is unbelievably good at sniffing out. You hate fake, and I love that about you. But it's also the thing that makes it hard for you to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. Because you're one of the people that would rather bow than stand. Third thing is this, speaking of bowing and standing. Standing out may cost you something. Standing out may cost you. And if we're honest, this is the biggest reason, I would believe, why most of you would be willing to bow down to culture. Because standing out may cost your popularity. People may not like you. People may not invite you anymore to things. It wasn't immediately, but slowly my friends stopped inviting me to things. My friends stopped calling me about things. I would see all my friends going somewhere, hanging out. I'm like, yo, what are we doing? What's going on? And they're like, oh, well, we're all going to a strip club and you don't do that. And I'm like, oh, all right. You want to get food after? <laughs> It'll be like 3 in the morning. We can go to Golden Nugget. <laughs> like, like, I was like, I still want to be your friend, right? Because I didn't have any other friends at the time. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm not going to spend $1,000 on somebody teasing me. That's weird. <laughs> That's like, that's like paying to go to a restaurant for somebody to bring the plate and be like, smells good, doesn't it? <laughs> and then just walk away. I'm like, that, no. But here's the thing. They stopped calling. Slowly but surely, they stopped calling. It might cost you some relationships. There may be somebody that you're really attracted to, that you really want to be with. But it, it doesn't line up with God's word. And I'm not just talking same-sex stuff. I'm talking like even in a heterosexual standpoint. Because a lot of us, our standard is looks only. And here's my favorite thing. Oh, they believe in God? That don't mean much. 
The Bible says even the demons believe in God and shudder his name. That doesn't mean anything. Believing in God and following God are completely different things. And we'll say things like, but they go to church. CEO Christians maybe, you know, Christmas and Easter only type. But that's what we do. We lower the standard. And listen, standing out may limit the people you, you interact with. But I don't know about y'all. For me, I only need one woman in my life. So I would gladly take the one in the million, then the million. And I'm happy. I love my wife. My wife's awesome. Um, but too many of us were like, man, I can't date anybody. Listen, I'll be honest with you. Real, I'm being super transparent and I swear this isn't vodka. But I'm going to be real honest with y'all. One of my prayers, I pray for godly men to come into my church and marry one of these amazing women that we got. We got so many great young ladies. I'm looking at them at times. I'm like, where were they when I was a young adult, man? You know, it was all dudes when I was a young adult. We have so many great women and just not enough godly men. But I would tell you this, I would rather they be single their whole life than married to a man that's not good for them. And vice versa with our guys. But our good guys, they get snacked up real quick, you know, like Joey. All right. Cease is like, I got mine. I was like, shut up. <laughs> Listen, if you go back to Daniel's story, right, chapter 3, verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, I want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship your gold statue that you have set up. What is he saying? He counted the cost of what it means to stand. He says, listen, I'm going to stand anyways, and my God is powerful enough to save me. But I'm not arrogant enough to say what God's going to do. I know what he can do, but if God decides that this is the moment I go home to him, I'll, I'll honor him anyways. See, a lot of us, we're willing to honor God as long as God works things out the way we want him to work it out. As long as God does it. God, I'm willing to wait until marriage as long as you promise me a hot wife. Nah, you know, what if, what if God's promise is you'll never have a wife? Could you stand for him anyway? Could you be who God called you to be anyway? What if God said, your dream's not my dream for you, and I don't want your dream for you, but this is what I've always wanted to be. I know, but before you were in your mother's womb, I already had who you were going to be. Are you willing to still stand? Are you willing to still stand when all your other friends will walk away from you? See, this is the time where most people say, I won't. Or can I be honest? You won't say it. You just do it. You don't say, I won't follow Christ. You just follow everybody else. You won't say, I won't stand up. You just bow down. You act like everyone else. And listen, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11 through 17. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. This is Paul speaking to the guy that he's mentored, Timothy, a young pastor. Now, Paul, in the New Testament, he wrote a lot of it, so we get a lot of insight into Paul's life. Paul suffered a lot for being a Christian. Before he was a believer, he was somebody who persecuted, who hunted down Christians. He was the culture. He was the world. God struck him down, converted him, opened his eyes to who he was always called to be. But it wasn't without suffering. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it. He is my chosen one who will suffer on my behalf. Paul's life was set up to suffer. 
and suffer he did. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was cast off. He was in the open ocean, shipwrecked for a day and a night. He was thrown off things. I mean, I'm telling you, he was stoned multiple times. He was whipped. Uh, they did this thing called 30 minus 1, so 29 lashes. And the reason they would whip you 29 times is because on average you would die at 30. So they were literally whipping you within an inch of your life. He did that three times. Could you imagine the scar tissue on Paul's back? Could you imagine how jacked up he probably looked? So he's telling Timothy, listen, you know, you've been with me. You've heard it from me. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lysteria. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Are you hearing me, young people? Everyone, including you, who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And at the same time, but evil people and imposters will flourish. I don't know about you, but that does not seem like a good sales point for being a Christian. Hey, all of you, you're going to suffer. And everybody who doesn't believe in God, they're going to do amazing. That's the kind of thing like, mm, maybe I don't want to do this. Maybe I really don't want to be a Christian. But then he goes on to say, they will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know that they are true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. What is he saying? You want to be a Christian? It's going to cost you. You want to stand for Christ when everybody else bows down? It's going to cost you. It's not easy, but it is worth it. Why? Because you've seen the truth. Every one of you who have said yes to Jesus Christ, I need you to understand, you got ruined. Ruined. Because you've seen the truth. Now, you can walk away from God and ignore him, but it will always, you will always feel it. You'll always know, I can't go that far. I mean, I've seen people that walk away from God... They go real hard. Why? I think because they're trying to numb the absence of the Lord in their heart. Because they know, I know what I got to do. You talk to anybody who's walked away from God, they'll say the same thing. I know what I got to do. I know I need to go back to church. I know I need to get right with God. I know, I know, I know. And you're sitting there like, dummy, then why don't you do it? Because they've chosen to bow down rather than stand up. Because standing up for them costs too much. It means giving up on the things they're addicted to. It means giving up on habits that they like. It means letting go of friends that they hold close. It means letting go of relationships that aren't right. And they say, you know what, God, I'd rather choose dating this person than being with you. And then you are all confused when God's like, you made your choice. Why are you mad at God? You made your choice. See, every one of you on every day will have to make a decision. Will you stand or will you bow? It's a decision you make on a daily basis. And you're going to count the cost. And the majority of people will bow down. Even the majority of Christians at time or two will bow down. But you got to ask yourself, 
Am I part of the some or am I part of the many? Am I part of the few that will stand no matter what? Or am I going to cower it out and bow like everybody else? And that's a decision we don't make here at an altar where I go, hey, stand up those who want to stand and bow those who want to Because you'll just do what the rest of the crowd does here. To be, Nobody wants to be the one that didn't stand. I'm not dumb about it. This decision that gets made here every day. But let me not let you off on a bad note. If you go on to read the rest of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar did not like their response. Spoiler alert there. And he got super mad, so mad, that he ordered the furnace be uh, seven, seven times hotter than it normally is, just to make sure he kills them good. The fire was so hot that the two guards who brought them and pushed them into the fire got caught on fire and died just outside the door. And as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing in the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire, and he grabs his advisors close to him, and he goes, didn't we send three people in there? Yes, my Lord, we sent three people in there. Nebuchadnezzar says, then how come I see four? Why did he see four? Because it was Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Jesus Christ. Here's the thing, when you're willing to stand and you're willing to go through the fire, Jesus doesn't say, I'll stop it. He says, I'm going to go in it with you. Yeah, it's going to be hard, but not so hard because he's with you in it. Yeah, you might feel like you're standing alone, but remember, you're never standing alone when you're standing with Christ. The Bible tells us that they were taken out of the furnace, and not only were none of them burned, but their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. I can't go to a bonfire without having to wash my sweater 16 times to get the smoke smell out. These guys were in a fire, and their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. Why? Because the Lord was in there with them. Because Jesus stood there and said, when you're willing to stand for me, remember that I will stand next to you. Amen? Why don't we stand? We're going to get ready to close. We're not going to do anything crazy. I'm not going to call you all out here. I just want to know, or I just want to pray, I should say, for some of you. And, I, and we're going to end in a prayer. And, and here's what I want to say. If you've got any questions tonight about some of those topics we were talking about, please feel free to talk to us. Talk to one of the leaders. Talk to me. If I can, again, transparent night, it seems like this whole message I gave to your leaders on Sunday. It was a lot meaner and harsher to them because I'm like, Yo, you a leader, step up or get out of this ministry. That's kind of how it went down. I think I literally said that at one point, right? I was like, if you don't like this, we could talk about how to transition you out of this ministry. Why? Because I hold them to higher standards. And you should too. So if you have questions, please, if you don't agree, if you're like, man, this is confusing, why? Why can't we just get high? Why can't we drink? Why can't I have sex? Why can't, why is abortion wrong? If you want to talk about any of that? More than happy to sit there and navigate and talk those conversations with you and have an actual conversation. Don't just be like, oh, I disagree, and walk away. Let's talk about it one-on-one. -on -one. Okay? And don't just go, okay, start reading your Bible. <laughs> start seeing where I got it from because I don't believe it just because I believe it. I believe what God says. So I'm going to get ready to close this out, and I'm going to ask us, would you just hold the hand of your neighbor next to you? Why don't you cross the aisle there so it's not like a weird gap. And I'm just going to pray 
for this group as a whole. And I'm going to pray that God would raise up those of you in this room who are willing to stand. And that those who will stand will one day help lift up the others who bow. Heavenly Father, Lord, you see every young person that's here tonight, God. You understand the challenges and the temptations that they have on a regular basis. You know how the enemy wants to attack them. You know how the enemy has tried to get them to bow down to culture, God. You know how even just our friends who are hurting try to get us to hurt with them. But God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to speak to their hearts. God, I pray that you would show them that greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. God, I pray for a generation of young people that will stand up and stand out, that will not be afraid of what other people say, that will not worry about what other people do, that will not bow down to other people's intimidation. God, I pray for a generation that will say, even if God doesn't rescue me, I will still stand and I will make it clear that I will never bow down to what everybody else tells me to do. Father, I pray that your voice would be the loudest voice in their heart. God, I pray that you would help them to guard their testimony so that they could courageously go and be a witness about the things that you have done in their life. God, I pray that you would use them for your honor and for your glory. And God, for those of us in this room who have made mistakes, who have maybe bowed down, I pray that you would lift them up. God, I pray that you would show them that it's never too late to stand for you, God, because you were always willing to stand with them. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its message. And, Father, I pray more than hearers of it, God, we would be doers of it. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Listen, God bless you guys. Yeah, you can clap. That's fine. Hey, listen, couple more things. Couple more things I want you to understand. If you want this to work, this whole standing up thing, it takes you guys holding each other accountable. Because if your leader comes, if your pastor comes and you're like, hey, how come you're posting that on Facebook? Why are you doing that? I'll be honest with you. I just, after a while, I, I ignore you. Like literally, I push the button to ignore you. I don't want to see your dumb stuff anymore. But if you guys can hold each other accountable, if you guys can say, hey, listen, I know you had quit for a while and, and you got back into it. Or, hey, I, I know your ex is trying to get back with you. Do you need to talk? Can, can I help you with anything? Can I pray with you? That matters more when it's from each other. That's why I wanted you to hold hands because it's each other that's going to help you. Because when you hear it from me, you're going to be like, oh, you're the pastor. You have to do that. It's like, oh, you're my mom. You, oh, you're supposed to think I'm cute, right? But when it comes from each other, it matters a lot more. So that's one. And then the second thing, uh, Valerie and her group, they set up a, a little thing on Sunday, right? Sunday from 2 to 5, is it? 1 to 5? So if you're available Sunday to 1 to 5, uh, there's this new uh, Colombian, is it? Is it Colombian? Colombian empanada spot over on Irving Park right by Austin. And so she has agreed, the owner of that restaurant, to donate 5% of everything. Has it? 10? Ooh, nice. 10% of everything purchased between that window and give it to our homeless ministry, Seeds of Compassion. And so if you get a bite to eat, you want to bring the family out, between 1 to 5, uh, we're, we're going to post it up later so you guys can see it. Uh, we want to encourage you guys to come out. Valerie's done a lot of work to help set that up. And, uh, man, we want to see God do something great in that. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. And we'll see you next week.